Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Get your questions, comments, vibes into the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. The Vancouver Canucks, 9-2-1 on the season. They broke, I I said they broke the spirit of the San Jose Sharks last Thursday uh, on their 10-1 win. Sharks gave up 10 the next game they played again. Um I feel like they broke the spirit of the Edmonton Oilers last night, too, in that first period set where the Oilers are just pounding on the door, can't get by Thatcher Demko, they get one, then they give up three in three and a half minutes. Canucks lead 3-1 by the end of the 20, and uh, well, the rest is history. McDavid and Dreisaitl had their freakouts during the game. Jack Campbell's on waivers today. The Oilers uh, have imploded thanks to the Vancouver Canucks. The only thing they didn't do was uh, fire Jay Woodcroft today. Mm. and uh, That's the next step if they lose to San Jose on Thursday. And I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I think they'll be fine against San Jose. Yeah. Um, Could but, be a spot where McDavid gets 10 <laughs> points. Maybe you'll break Sittler's record on Thursday. Honestly, that's in the cards. <laughs> that is in the cards. It could very well happen. You can't put it past them, especially with how San Jose is playing. But they broke their spirit. You're right. And you saw the, the loss of composure throughout their team and I know the coach Jay Woodcroft was saying you know uh, I didn't say anything there was no profanity in what I said to get myself tossed but like I mentioned on the postgame show last night I don't think he quit himself well you have a team that's melting down on the ice and then you're also melting down yeah it's like you're all doing the same thing here you're enabling each other in this vicious cycle and when you behave that way I just don't see a pathway out for you guys at least not with the current group and the current coach uh McDavid just uh couldn't handle New Ryan Kessler, JT Miller. <laughs> I don't know if we should be calling him that, but it feels like he's kind of becoming that for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, that line played well again last night with the tough task of taking down um, Connor McDavid. And uh, the Oilers, uh, they just scored the one goal, five on five. That was the probably should have been goalie interference goal that uh, Canucks didn't even bother to uh, challenge because they felt so comfortable. Yeah, I mean, maybe not. Could but. Have maybe challenged. It. I don't know if they were comfortable necessarily on that, <laughs> but uh, questionable if it would have been a goal interference or not. But Canucks end up winning six two, and uh, they are off to Eastern Canada. We'll get into a little bit of the road trip. What's to come? Mike Kelly is going to join us. His take on uh, just how real the Canucks are. Mike Kelly, of course, with the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Plus, Irfan Gaffar joins us for his regular Tuesday hit. So much of what's happening right now, Sat, is while we've been here analyzing the team game to game, Mm -hmm. it feels as though the national media is starting to come around on the Canucks during this hot streak, 9-2-1. We're getting a larger data sample of how the Canucks are playing, and people are like, oh, it's maybe not as wild as it was earlier, even though... You know, some of these things are inflated, like their shooting percentage and save percentage to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. All those things will normalize to some level. But nobody's out here saying the Canucks are going to completely crater anymore because it's hard to deny what you've been watching with this team. 
Last night against the Edmonton Oilers after they weathered that early storm. Saturday against Dallas. Last Saturday against the New York Rangers, even in that OT loss. I mean, the Canucks are earning their reputation uh, as uh, a team that is going to be a playoff team and probably isn't going away as the season goes on. No, and I think the most encouraging part, and even if you look at some of the public stuff, and you know, we've we've discussed the public data and how we have to be very careful with being taking uh, it as gospel. Not that anybody does, but just be careful with with, with a lot of uh, just the basic shot metric stuff. But even that, defensively, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Canucks are bottom five in the league or one of the worst teams defensively by the metrics and bleeding, you know, scoring chances at such a high degree that it's really, really, you know, concerning. They they don't. They've been maybe average, really, in that, in that regard in terms of the shot metrics. What the metrics are showing, the public data, is their chance generation hasn't been great and that their shooting percentage is super high. I think the defensive stuff is, can get better, and I think— what we're seeing, even by the public stuff, isn't too disconcerting. It's yep. more about, are they going to be able to keep the scoring going? But if if our issues are far less, if our issues con- are less concerned with defense and their process and how they play as a team to keep the puck out of their own net, then you shouldn't be too worried about that regression. As much as it will come and the goals will dry up a bit and you're not going to have the heater the Canucks have been on now, scoring, what, 54 goals in 12 games, whatever it is, on pace for over 400 goals on the season. Like, it's <laughs> obviously, right? Like I said, they're the mid-'80s Oilers, yeah. Sat. This is, uh, this is just happening. And so that, of course, is going to come down. But yeah. when you look at how they're playing as a team, and then anecdotally, when we watch day-to-day, we watch their structure, their rotations, how they're boxing out well, the sticks are in the right lane, they're not giving up odd man chances to, to nearly the same degree as they were giving out before. You're not seeing the breakdowns lead to two or three mistakes, right? And even the moments they've been bad, they've had some bad sequences, like the first 10 minutes you know, uh, against Edmondson, they were dominated. But outside of that chance where Fogel got free, they didn't really have odd man chances. No. And it wasn't like they were getting breakaways and Friedman was limited after that mistake because he was too high on the blue line. Fogel gets behind him. But they weren't giving up odd man chances. They weren't giving up too many east-west passes. Like as much as Demko was great last night, he didn't have to make a save the way he made a save against um, Dallas. Dallas on Wyatt yeah. Johnson when he comes across him. He's a desperation glove save on a shirt goal, for instance, right? And the Canucks were better that game. Yep. But to, to the point, they're not having the same level of breakdowns. And that's why I'm interested to talk to Mike, because some of the stuff that I've been asking around a little bit about has been very encouraging, Dan. It's hard not to be encouraged, right? I think there's uh, a lot of stuff um, that you're seeing with the eye test that over time, the numbers will truly start to bear out. And you know we'll get a better idea of this. What is the proprietary data saying when we speak with Mike Kelly coming up after 4.30? But you can't ignore the contrast of the two teams last night or even looking back at the St. Louis game and some of these other teams around the league right now that are having trouble defending and contrast them with where the Canucks are. I mean, it's, it's wildly different. You know, we saw it at the opposite end of the spectrum where the Canucks were the team that couldn't defend last year, but now they are the team Mm -hmm. that can defend talk it with his constant, like, we can't be diving in. The Oilers were, like, diving in on everything last night. And it's a commitment to the structure, a commitment to trusting your teammates, uh, a a commitment to this is how we're going to play hockey and how we're going to have success. And right now, it's working at probably an unsustainable level, but unsustainable to what extent? 
once it does normalize, you're still a 98 point ish team. Like that's, that's still fine. You know, like that's still a damn good hockey team. Yeah. And Obviously, they're not going to have guys shooting at over 30%, as you're seeing some guys are right now in terms of their shots, and there is more they can do in terms of generating, and I think that can happen as the season goes on here. But when you're watching the types of screens they're setting, and if you look at the type of movement they're getting off of these shots, hey, power play goal, you know, notwithstanding, but on five on five, how many times have we seen the Canucks essentially walk a puck into the goal? Yeah. And there's a wide open net you're shooting at. Yeah. So it's not like it's happening a lot. Yeah. And so what we're not seeing is a team just throwing these, you know, low percentage shots that are just happening to go in, getting a bunch of lucky bounces off a of player's butt to go in or whatever. They seem to force a lot of low percentage shots they from do. their opponents. They exactly. And I think that's one thing they've done a good job of. And they are getting bounces. Don't get me wrong. Like those even the screenshots going through and some of the tips, like they are getting bounces right now. They are. But we're not talking about a great volume of their goals happening based out of pure luck or a goalie being really bad. Like how many floating wristers with no traffic are getting through goaltenders? We're not really not seeing things like that, yeah. you know? So when you start breaking down each of the goals, how they're scoring, they're, it's really encouraging in terms of how the Canucks are generating their offense. And one of the things they're, they're doing really well which generates these good scoring chances, if you're staying compact and contained, as well as the Canucks have done so far, how many times are we now seeing teams make mistakes? And the Canucks go on a bit of a break the other way. Or somebody gets caught behind, they get zone time in the other end, somebody gets lost, backdoor play opens up all of a sudden. They're taking advantage of teams now because they're the team more often than not, not falling apart with their structure. And they force other teams to make mistakes which they take advantage of. So when we start looking at how the team is playing, that's why I'm not as concerned. Yes, there'll be some coming down to earth happening here. But to me, they're playing at a sustainably high level as a team right now. And if they weren't playing at a high level, we would point that out. We talked about this in the past when they've been on runs. And we're like, okay, well, even Patterson's rookie season, mm-hmm. they made a bit of a run. They were kind of getting hot a little bit with Patterson and, and Besser. And, and it looked like, okay, these guys may have something going. And it was like, okay, well, they're playing well, guys. But let's be realistic here. Like, it's, it's really not going to be something that they're going to be really able to hone in on. They're not going to all of a sudden go off. We were joking about, you know, Fury Road, um, Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> yes. to the playoffs. Can you win 11 out of 12 games to get in? I mean, that's kind of the position they found themselves in late. But that wasn't ever going to be realistic. And the way they played, you knew they were, they were always going to fall short no matter how encouraging some games and some sequences were. The process here is significantly better than what we've seen. And even though the numbers will come down and regress, it's not going to be to the level I, I think that some are concerned it might be. One of the um, signs earlier in the season that the Canucks were kind of overcoming some of uh, some of their poor play from the first couple weeks of the season, you know, their their second periods were pretty bad, right? Yes. Um, the the Philly game, they, well, actually, the second game against uh, of the season against the Oilers, they were really just trying to hang on in the second period, and they they scored a couple of goals completely against the run of play. It continued in Philadelphia. That entire game they got shelled, especially in the second period. The loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, they were crushed in the second period. I think the scoring chances, if I remember, uh, by my count, were 7-1 to one for Tampa in the second period alone, and the yeah. shot clock bore that out. They started to flip that script right after the Tampa game. And, you know, their, their goal differential has been great all year in the second period, but it wasn't really matching their play for the first bit. But since the Florida game, they've been unreal in second periods. Yeah. Pretty much every game outside of the, maybe the outlier where the coach called his team out a little bit against the Predators. Yeah. But 
Every single game, they seem to dominate the second period now. And last night was no different. The Stars game was no different. It's a sign of a team really starting to find itself. And you could see last night in, in some some of those second period shifts, they've got the Oilers hemmed in. They're doing that thing that we used to see a lot of other teams do to the Vancouver Canucks, where you've got the short shift for the offensive zone. Yeah. And you're just piling on shifts like guys are changing and you're keeping offensive zone pressure. You're keeping tired guys out there on the opposition and you're getting fresh legs and you're piling it on, piling it on, piling it on. And it doesn't work every night. Like last night, the second period score was 1-1. But the Canucks, for my money, were way better in the period. And we started to see that where the Canucks really do uh, exert themselves on their opponent as the game goes on as they start to frustrate their opponent because they don't come out of their structure. They don't give you chances easily, and then they start to break down their opponents. It, it feels like that's part of how they're they're really starting to to win games and control games more often. And if you start, you know, and this is why you look at the bigger samples and people look at, you know, and they're like, hey, this isn't going well, or they're, they're kind of running some percentages. But again, to, to em- emphasize the point about what you're making as well, how they played lately. They're on an eight-point, eight-game point streak, right? Seven zero and one, yeah. Seven zero and one these past eight games. Over that time frame, even by the public data in terms of goals per goals against per sixty, they have the eight best in the National Hockey League. So it's not even the best. Eighth best goals against per sixty. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, but it's not the best. It's not the best, but it's 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 only point four off the best, which is Colorado two point oh two. Okay. They're at 2.5, and that's at 2.02, so about 0.5 off. It's, I mean, it's half a goal. It's not insignificant, right? But it's still considerably different than, I think, what people assume in terms of, oh, they're going to regress. Where the Canucks are getting dinged a little bit is their chance generation isn't at the same level of the chance generation that they're giving up of at the times. Vegas's and the Colorado's. And that's really what's what's trailing them behind. Now, we are going to talk to Woodley tomorrow too, and we'll get his sense of what they are seeing from clear sights in terms of the, the uh, Thursday. Sorry, we'll talk to Woodley about what we're seeing in terms of some of the scoring chances that he has in clear sights analytic and, and analytics and what it looks like. But talking to him briefly yesterday and talking to some other people, the Canucks, in terms of some of the, the proprietary data, they are more favorable in the chances they're creating in terms of the quality of the chances they're creating. And even their screenshots. It's actually interesting. They set some of the best screens, not just because they score goals and they're counting screen goals. It's about how they're setting screens and how they're taking sight lines away from goaltenders. They've been one of the best teams in the league doing those things. So as much as we can look at data and say, oh, here are concerning things, once you go a little bit deeper and you find some other numbers, more specifically in the micro data, there are a lot of things that can that you can construe as being positive for this team. There's uh, part of this too where... Um the way to give Rick Tockett and his coaching staff some credit, the way that they've deployed the roster and how they're trying to get the most out of every little inch, out of every game situation that they can, I think has been really impressive. And we first started to notice it a little bit earlier on as JT Miller and that line would take a lot of the toughs. What are they? Well, they're, that's kind of a five-man unit that takes on the Tufts. Yeah. It's Hughes, Roenick, and then the Miller line. And last night, I think Pedersen and Hughes played one shift together uh, on the ice. Mm-hmm. So Hughes and Miller have kind of become exclusive, especially in these uh, 
you know, we got to go up against Connor McDavid or, you know, the Rupe Hints and Joe Pavelski line is one of the best in the league. We got to, we got to shut them down. There's been a really um, focused deployment on how the Canucks are going to attack their opposition game to game game yeah. plan that this team is going about how they feel they're going to get, um, how they're going to win each matchup. And they've deployed it. And it's actually worked really well in the way that they've deployed these players. It's been by committee because of how they're deploying their lineup in many ways. And obviously because of the third and fourth line, Suter, Garland are playing a lot better. And Lafferty, Bavillier, and Hoaglander have been dynamite as a line as well. So you're getting this push from... uh, from behind your top six that's giving you something. But it really is relying on your best players. Like people are texting in, fishing and Langley and others. Even though you break through the Canucks defense, you still got to score on Thatcher Demko. Yes. And good luck. Yeah. He's, he's in- incredible. And you have guys like Quinn Hughes, Philip Ronick, the way JT Miller is playing. To your point, you put those guys together, they can take care of some of the best lines in hockey. At least through 12 games, they've done that in almost every turn. And even the the, the worst game they had was a Flyers game. Yeah. By far. Yeah, and then they had an outright, outright loss to Tampa as well. Mm-hmm. And those are your two regulation losses on the year. Yeah. And one of them was just like a total like write-off performance. Yeah. The Philadelphia Flyers And game. the Tampa game, there was some good, there was some bad, but it was a start of them getting their game back. And if you, if you start looking at their numbers too, a lot of the, the issues they have in terms of how they look bad, you take, the, and the same thing, you take the, you know, the 8-1 game out yeah. too. But the Canucks, even in all the games they've won, have never been the super high chance generation number. There's been some games that have really skewed the numbers in terms of how much they give up. So you can also look at that in isolation and say they skew the numbers a little bit. But to your point... It, Forget the numbers, forget the data, which we're talking about, which has been a big topic of conversation. The Canucks have players who can outperform mm-hmm. norms because they're star-level players. And the way Hughes is playing, Horonic, JT Miller, and Demko, but also to the point you mentioned, the way Pedersen is playing right now, he doesn't need to have a Quinn Hughes out there with him. No. This is something we've been tracking now for the last week or so about deployments, and we're like, yeah, it's really interesting when you look at this defense and how they're doing it by committee because Hughes and Horonic get a lot of minutes, a lot of toughs. But then the rest of the D-men kind of get sheltered by having Pedersen with them. And it's not that Pedersen plays easy minutes. It's just that he's so effective at helping the breakout mm-hmm. and having McCabe as well helps out both those guys that when those guys are out there with Cole, with Friedman, with Susie or Myers, they can keep their heads above water. Yeah. And you have them playing deeper. They're so much better in, in breaking the puck out, be going through the neutral zone, gaining zone entry with speed, having zone time going the other way. And this goes back to the discussion about how you play as a team. And the most encouraging part being you have these guys buying into a structure and a system and you have your elite players doing the dirty work you need to be successful as a team. And usually when you play that way, it comes at a cost offensively. That hasn't happened no. for the Canucks. Some of that will go back to normal, normal levels. But what an incredible um, what an incredible reward for these guys, though, for their buy-in early in the season. That your sacrifice is now giving you a massive bounty and reward. Bigger than you ever imagined well, because of your a, sacrifice. a guaranteed playoff position already. And also individual points. Yes. And it's like, if you play this way and really buy into it, and you have these high-level players, you're going to be able to generate some great chances going the other way. Teams get desperate. You have leads, right? Yeah. You get into a game, it's tight. You you maintain your, your, your poise. You maintain your discipline. That team makes a mistake. Now you get a 2-on-1 going the other way. 
way. And and what's going to happen if Elias Pettersson has an odd man chance going the other way? He's going to score a lot of the time. Exactly. Same thing with JT Miller. Mm-hmm. So as long as these guys buy into playing this way, even at times where they get shelled, because of the quality they have, because of how they can break out, because of how they support the puck together, it gives them a chance to be a really serious hockey team. And I'm not saying cup contender here, Dan. Yeah. I'm just saying in terms of this being real as a, as a good, solid hockey team. It's sort of the, the larger point that I uh, made on Twitter today about how this Canucks team has been built. Yeah. You have Elias Pettersson, you have Quinn Hughes, you have Thatcher Demko. When Jim Rutherford took this team over, he knew that already. And what was one of the first things Jim Rutherford said? We have to play like a team. And not in a Pierre Dorian way, Mm -hmm. but it was more of we don't play like a team and we need to start playing like that because we have some talent here. But we have to build something that magnifies that talent. Now, he didn't use those words, but that's essentially what his message was. And you've started, it's taken them a while. It's taken Patrick Alvin, you know, two off seasons to start to put those pieces together and finally get his coach in here that he feels can do that. And that's why you're starting to see some of this success. And that's been the plan for this front office basically from day one. Now it's just working in that. You have Elias Patterson playing like a top five center right now mm-hmm. for this first bunch of games of the year, best center in the league. You have Quinn Hughes playing as the best defenseman in the league. You have Thatcher Demko playing as the best goalie in the league. It's working with those three as good as it could possibly work right now. Yeah. But you also have JT playing at a high level. You have capable, competent third and fourth lines. You've restructured your defense that it can work even though, yeah, it's not the most talented defense in the league. It's like, how are we managing this until we can find more high-end pieces to put back there? It's it's the ongoing process of their build, but their build from day one was how do we maximize the three-star talents that we have on this roster? All along, you heard management when they first came in. They said, we have a great goaltender and a great defenseman. And they knew about Pedersen, but Pedersen was going through his struggles. And I get people saying... Yeah, when that, Rutherford took over, Patterson was going through the worst stretch of his career. Yeah, and the, and the two guys who was mentioning was goaltender and Quinn Hughes. And he said, yeah, Patterson's really good, but we have to get him back and all that. You know, So right away, there wasn't this you know huge praise. And listen, we can talk about trade rumors. We can talk about whether the team is sold on this guy to this high level or not or whatever it is. Publicly, the their plan has always been, we believe in a number of core players here. We want to build on that. We have to make tough decisions. We may have to trade some guys. And he himself said, "Is like we believe in the core, but we may we may have to make some tough decisions." Case case in point, Bo yeah. that, you know. But they always said we believe in the core. Generally speaking, get it, f- forget the names, and they want to build on it. So right now, through twelve games, their bet on some of the core pieces they've kept have have massively paid off. Yes. And it's the reason why you want to make the argument of this is why you don't trade Pedersen, this is why you don't trade Demko, this is why you don't trade Quinn Hughes, because at their positions they could literally be the best in that year in the league. In any given year, they can be the best in the league. Right now, Pedersen's the most productive best center in the league. Yep. Quinn Hughes, the best defenseman in the league. That's Demko. Demko, best goalie. You can make that argument today through 12 games so far this season. That's a great base to have and build on. And now you're starting to see the rewards of betting on it. There's still more work to do, though. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to Irf about this as well when he joins us coming up in a bit. I mentioned this on the show last night. We've been talking about it for a while. As much as this organization is excited about what they're seeing, as much as they believe in this core, they also want to keep adding to it. 
Yes. They still want to make the team better. And it's not about messing with a good thing. Again, making trades is going to take time, months down the road. So don't worry about, you know, messing a good up a good run with a trade tomorrow or the next week. But when opportunities will arise and they will arise, I think this team is going to be aggressive in making not just minor moves to make them better, but big moves if they can to significantly address some of their needs. When the Rutherford says we don't have enough depth to withstand injuries, he's I don't think he's talking about a role player. Because if we're talking about withstanding injuries, a third line guy is not going to replace Elias no, Patterson. You've got you, you can you can manage games without those guys. So the point is, we need to get more high level guys. That if one or two get hurt, we yeah. can survive. And yeah. if we have them all healthy, then maybe we, we can contend for a stand yeah. on the cup. If we lose Pedersen for a month, how are we going to manage that? It's going to be tough to manage. So when they talk about adding depth, I think that's what they're talking about. Like we have to get better with our ceiling as well. Easier said than done during the season, but I do think. This isn't the finished product of what you're seeing with this team yet. I think they still want to add more and do more with with this roster. Uh, we're going to get to Mike Kelly, but I did want to answer this question from Eric because I actually got it a lot on uh, something I said on Twitter last night, calling it JT Miller's redemption season. And Eric says, you said JT Miller's redemption tour continues <laughs> or something to that effect. I ask you, what is redeeming? what is he redeeming himself for? And... If you've listened to Canuck Central for a long period of time, you've known that we uh, are fans of J.T. Miller's game. This is a uh, very pro-J.T. Miller show. It has been a pro-J.T. <laughs> Miller show. Uh, I think the redemption season, it, in my mind, is because of a lot of the narrative that was around the market, especially last October, November, when J.T. wasn't playing his best. And mostly, it's for this. For everyone that said JT Miller can't play the center of the ice, <laughs> that he's not a center iceman, that JT Miller can't play that position, you're not getting the best version of JT Miller when he is playing at center. And to that, JT Miller is proving everybody wrong. Oh, I like it. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I, I think to, to do that, I, I think more than anything, the redemption tour comes with the, I'd say, the public perception of him. Yes, in general, that and too, and he, and he hasn't helped himself. We talked about this in the past yeah. with everything that he's done, but he is on a bit of a redemption arc in terms of his positioning and how he's viewed. You know, um, he's winning over all of those naysayers that he had uh, from a year ago. Those that maybe wanted the Canucks to keep Bo Horvat rather than J.T. Miller. And again, twelve games in a season, we'll see how the, we're talking long deals or whatever it is. But no, I'm yeah. sold. J.T. Miller's fine. Well, hey, listen, I'm not. <laughs> uh, we know. Our, yes. our our flags were planted long ago. The arguments have been made. They haven't changed. I'm just saying, you know, I just don't want to do too much of the, you know. Yes, you know, I hear you. You know, pat yourself on the back too early. <laughs> JD the Jerk says, Sat is so obsessed with dogs, he just said popportunity. Did I say popportunity? You may have said popportunity. Did I say popportunity? Popportunity? Popportunity. Did I? <laughs> All right. I was watching a lot of uh, doggy TikToks today. Oh, man. By the way, guilty dogs are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> guilty dogs? Yeah, when dogs, when they mess up and they're guilty and you catch them in the act or something, they're really funny. So, like, you come home from a, a day out and the dog is, like, it's like gone through up the laundry or, or something like that? Like, did you up do a bunch that? of socks? And did you do that? The cat, they, they go and, like, <laughs> hide in a corner, keep their head <laughs> down, want to look ass. at you? Yeah. Mm. Is that like your whole that. TikTok, too? Just dog videos? I, my algorithm Your is, entire is algorithm is doggy videos? Yeah. Yeah. Mine has turned into, like renovation tiktok and i'm i rent i have <laughs> no way to do anything you probably watch one or two of the videos too much yeah, and they're like you love this you want to see guys Josh is just out here watching homes on homes uh, on tiktok unreal uh all right coming up mike kelly how real are the canucks that's next on canuck central